Hello guys, welcome back to this podcast. I wanted to start off with just wanting to thank you guys so much for listening this far. I know this has been a really long journey and one that has been a labor of love, that is for sure. Um, But I wanted to be um, in topic of conversation of Jesus's love and our transformation as Christians um, in Christ. So what I've noticed with this generation is a lot of people like to say they're Christians, but they're really not. Um, And I have been one of those people previously in my life. It, I, I would say I was a Christian with such a, a lackadaisical type of point of view. I used to look at my relationship with Christ as something that was not important. Um, just something I would do on a Sunday basis. And even then I was forced to do it, you know. Um, so I didn't really have a good approach to Christianity. And I never quite understood with the transformation, right? I always understood uh, once you become a Christian, your whole life it basically becomes super boring, right? And you're going to have to give up all these worldly things that you very much enjoy. And it can be quite scary. It can be quite um, frustrating, but I never understood what it meant to want to transform my life. I guess I didn't really understand the love and the depth of Christ to willingly give up everything. Um, willing to give up the life I had before me and the life that was going to lead to destruction. And God has been pushing, pushing and pushing. And I've seen this more and more. It's like, as Christians, we should be transformed in Christ. Meaning, we should have such a love and adoration and and so thankful that we should want to change, not because God asks us to, but because we love Him so much, we know we have to change to be close to Him. And what's so sad is that this generation and this time that we're living in, it's so about me, 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 me. What can God do for me? Why do I have to give that up? Doesn't God want me to have a good life? Doesn't God want me to enjoy my life? And what's interesting is when we look back at the Old Testament, when we look back at the New Testament, right? The ten, the 12 disciples, they knew that they had to give up the lives that they had before them, not because they were forced to, but because they wanted to. They willingly did those things. And I just want to touch up on uh, scripture this episode. We're going to be in John 10. We're going to be reading one all the way to the end and Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. And I want you to keep in mind the love of Jesus, right? How deep, how how wonderful it is, but also the transformation that he requires of us. And I want to call out Christians that are still sleeping, people that are still sleeping, because it's time to wake up. If not now, when? And I'm so disappointed. I'm disappointed in my own view at a time of being 18 years old and and putting God at the back burner because it wasn't fun for me. I knew that if I wanted a relationship with Christ, it would require change. But I never understood the love that I would have to willingly give those things up because of what he did for me in my life. So I'm urging you, if you are struggling with that right now, please bring it up to God. Bring it before Jesus and he will lift those burdens out of you. Because it's hard. It is hard to give up the things that your flesh loves to enjoy. It is hard to set yourself apart. But when you're in a deep and loving connection with Jesus, 
There is nothing that can fulfill you like that. And once you're in it, you'll know when you're out of that. You'll feel it in your soul. That, hey, I've been cussing more. I haven't been reading the Bible more. Like, it's it's insane how our spirit knows before our mind. That when we lack our relationship and closeness with Jesus Christ, we revert to the patterns that we had before. And I just want more than anything, and this is just this is also just for myself, is to understand how deeply Jesus loves me. And to read the words that he says, and to understand that he wanted us in spite of us being the way we are. I don't think I could ever do that, especially to people that don't care about me. I don't think I could do that. And it's really sad to think that Christianity right now is being mocked. And it is being used as just something that you add to your resume. Yes, you know, um, I really love to do astrology. And I, but I'm also a Christian, okay? Um, I love Mary. Like, it, it's not a piece of a resume that you just, a badge that you put when you're not living that way. And you're dipping in a bunch of other things. I'm pretty sure I talked about it in the last episode is about God being jealous of us like he loves us so much like he wants our full adoration and attention towards him because he deserves it he did everything and God's like I gave you everything and you are still willing to worship the things that are are not even real or aren't even as powerful are they good are they going to lead to a life of happiness, true happiness, not what you think your idea of happiness is. I look back at my life, uh, my mentality as a 18-year-old, right, 17, 16-year-old, 15-year-old, my view on God was so different. He was like far. I know Uh, In my mentality, I thought, well, you know, he sees everything I'm doing. Like, you know, and I would be convicted sometimes. But that conviction wouldn't last very long. And what's sad is that I pushed God so far away for for so long that the minute I, I gave him just an inch he gave me worth a mile of blessings and that is something that'll tear you apart because the minute you give him the bare minimum he gives you more than you deserve that's how loving And awesome that he is. And what's so crazy is that like. I haven't sang in church. And I would say since I was. In a worship. In a worship band I would say. I was since I was 14. And. I just had a very negative view on worship. Like I would love to. I would. Negative and lazy. You know that was my mentality. And I enjoyed worshiping God at home. But when it came to a stage and and rehearsing and all this stuff, I felt like it was so fabricated that there was no room for a relationship with God there. It was, how is this going to make everybody else in the church happy? You know? And God has molded and softened my heart little by little. And, And because I feel safe in a church. 
I feel safe in in myself and I know who I am and I know that the life I had before me the life before I surrendered everything to Jesus is like dead and gone it seems like another lifetime and that view is what's brought me back to worship you know and um i'm going to be singing for the first time on sunday um solo in a very long time and i urge you guys to keep me in prayer because the last time i sung on sunday which was last sunday but i didn't sing by myself um i had like terrible nightmares so just keep me in prayers that um that any spiritual warfare that's happening in my sleep that's disrupting uh what god wants to do on church that sunday that it's um destroyed in the name of jesus and um enough with me blabbering let's get started so i like i said we're going to be on john 10 first okay and this is jesus talking and if you know jesus he's a pretty good storyteller and he makes really good analogies so he's talking about the good shepherd and his sheep and obviously if you know jesus is our shepherd right and we're gonna get started this is jesus talking very truly i tell you pharisees anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber the one who enters the gate by the the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out so i want to start from the beginning so jesus is talking to the pharisees and he's basically saying if anybody tries to take the easy way well one pretend that they're the shepherd when they're not so you know being a fake and and, and god talks about it and jesus talks about it in the bible that there are going to be people that call themselves me but they're not you know and so one he's talking about that and then what i took it as is he's also saying the people that try to cut corners and try to get the same result are also a thief and a robber so and then they say the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So there is somebody outside of the gate opening for the shepherd to get in. So now we have two people. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger, in fact. They will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So he's talking about us, Christians, real Christians, okay? We know the voice of God. We know to test the Spirit because that's what the, what the Bible says. That's what God says. That's what Jesus says, to test the Spirit and see if it's in according, accordance with God. And what his will is. And also we know what this Holy Spirit feels like versus the spirit of the enemy. Because the enemy will lead you to something destructive, right? It could be in a church. It could be doing something you're not supposed to. Or taking a position that God hasn't opened for you. But he's also talking to these pastors that are leading their flock astray 
that are teaching them one version of the word instead of the full version. And so Jesus says, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was trying to tell them. Funny thing is, is because Pharisees are not shepherds. That's why they could not understand. And what's funny is the Pharisees were wealthy people, right? They worked for the temple. They had money. And the shepherds were like the poorer type of group. So, of course, the Pharisees wouldn't understand. They, they, they never... They were never shepherds. They never understood that type of environment or that type of action. Let's keep going. Therefore, Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. He keeps saying, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So he had to like break it down into simpler terms because they just could not understand. They could not understand for the life of them what he was talking about being a shepherd or about following him or following somebody. They were like, I don't understand. But he says, truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and come in and go and find pasture. Pasture means peace, right? When an when an animal is in pasture, they know that they're secure. They're not afraid of a, a exterior threat because they know that their shepherd is there protecting them. And let's keep going. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So, we're talking about, he's, being, he's the good shepherd, right? We find peace in his pasture. But then he talks about a thief that comes in. To steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and to have it to the full. When he's talking about the thief, he's talking about Satan. He's talking about Lucifer. And he's talking about how he comes into our life disguised in a sheep's clothing to deviate us from where God wants us to be ultimately kill us right whatever that may be that's down that road and to destroy our spirit so we are condemned to hell that's what what jesus is trying to say this thief that comes only to steal kill and destroy but so if you think logically right a thief what he does he goes to your house he robs your stuff um and he leaves but the thieves back then we're talking about that. The currency, there were no iPads. There were no like technology, none of that. Animal and livestock were worth a lot of money. That's how you, that, were your, that was your means to survive, to trade, uh, to make a living. And so a thief would come in, take the sheep, kill them, maybe sell their meat, sell their, their, their uh, wool, for money and eventually would have destroyed that animal but jesus is saying i have come so that these sheep may have a life and have it to be full to have a full and fulfilling life and he's the only shepherd that has no ulterior motives when he looks at us he doesn't say, well, what can they do for me? A good shepherd does not do that. He says, what can I do for them? 
What can I do to make sure they're happy? What can I make what can I do to make sure that they're healthy and safe? Cuz he knows that he would protect the sheep before he would protect himself. Let's go to 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is high, he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So I'm going to say hired hands could be pastors, people of leadership in the church. And that's, that's, that's where I'm taking it. Because I'm so sick and tired of seeing pastors that only care about their, the, the world's, they care about the world's perspective and view of them instead of what God is going to see in their heart once it's judgment day. Because is this helping hand helping scatter the sheep? Or is he protecting them for the shepherd? So Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. I will lay my, my life down. The hired hand, my assistant, he's, he doesn't own the sheep. The sheep are not his. All he does is watch them. And, and so when he sees this wolf coming, he runs away. He's like, oh, I'm not going to sacrifice myself for some sheep, okay? I got a wife and kids. I got three cows on my lawn. Like, I have to make chicken for breakfast tomorrow. Like, he's like, I'm not, I didn't sign up for this, and runs away, okay? So, so since he runs away, these sheep are left by themselves, defenseless. So the wolf comes and he scatters the flock. These sheep are scared. So they're running all different types of directions just to get away from the threat, right? And what Jesus is saying, the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Exactly, because they're not his sheep. He does not have that hardwired in him. He is not their shepherd. He's just watching them. So there's a different type of connection there. He says, I am the good shepherd. He keeps repeating, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. They know me. They know I'm not, they know the difference between me and the hired help. They know the difference. They know the difference with my smell, my voice, my, the way I, I, I watch them. They know me. Just as the father knows me. And I know the Father. And I lay my, I lay down my life for the sheep. He's like, my Father knows me. And, he, and I know Him. And what's funny is, we don't really know God. We've seen wonders, but, but it's a different relationship than like, for example, I know of my neighbor next door. I know what their names are. But I don't personally have a relationship with them. But Jesus is talking about, I have a personal relationship with God the Father. I know. I know Yahweh. Right? I know Him. And He knows me. We know each other. There's a relationship. There's a bond there. And so, what He's saying is, if you want to get to the Father, you got to get to me. Because we have that one-on-one -on -one connection. And Jesus says, I know the Father, and I lay my life down for my sheep. You are the sheep. He's like, I lay my life down for you. And I think the, the most interesting part is that like animals have a very different view of life than people do, right? Doesn't mean they don't feel pain or, or have... Or thoughts pop into their head. But they. They only know so much. 
when you take care of an animal and you're taking care of like for example a dog from the moment they're puppies all the way to adulthood they they depend on you you're what they know right and so our view on life is so different than the view that Jesus has for our life. He can see the threat before we can. He knows what's coming before we can. And what he does is he gives us warning signs like, hey, watch out. I'm trying to help you. And we just choose not to listen because sheep only go one way, right? If they're running straight, they're running straight. They're not worried about what's going on around them. And I feel like we're like that. We're simple-minded. At times and and I know that's a really crude way of saying it but we follow wherever the flock is going but if we have a personal relationship with the shepherd and we know what his voice is even though the flock might be going one way we know what Jesus is saying we follow Jesus and that's what Jesus is saying in this verse in this passage is they know my voice so even though the flock might decide to wander is because they don't truly know my voice. I'm not their shepherd. Like, I am their shepherd, but they don't know that yet. <laughs> so if they don't know I'm their shepherd, they're not going to recognize my voice. And so, and now he talks about the other sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. This is exactly what I was just saying. He's saying, I have other children, like I have other sheep, but they're not here yet. They're not in this pen yet. I must bring them also. So he's like, I will leave the comfort of my other sheep in my pasture. I will leave them to go grab the sheep that are not in this pen, that are wandering, that are lost, that are hurting. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The, the, the sheep that are not in the, in the shepherd's pen yet, right? These are unbelievers. They still recognize his voice. That's what I find crazy. Because you will look at testimonies of atheists and stuff and they know that it was Jesus. Isn't that crazy? And it's not like they went to church every Sunday and they heard Jesus' voice and or they read the Bible. No. They knew what his voice sounded like. And he's saying, they will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. I'm going to take them all with me. They all belong to me and they will only listen to me. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. Our heavenly father, Yahweh, Yahweh, he's, he gave power to Jesus and said, you have the authority to do this. But God looks at Jesus with such love because one, he's his only son. True son, right? We're all sons and daughters, but this is Jesus, okay? He is like up top, okay, in this kingdom. He looks at him with awe because Jesus could have not had to do what he did. But because... God loves us one and Jesus loves us so much that he's like, I will lay down my life and take it back up again. And I'll do it again and again and again and again. Whatever I have to do, I will die over and over and over again just for you. Just to reach you. And let's keep going. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And here's what I'm going to tell you. Because this is what I thought was interesting. Demons 
they can... So if you look back when Moses went in front of Pharaoh and they had these like people that practice witchcraft and whatnot, they had the... they Moses would do some miracles and they would copy that until a point that their powers were just not strong enough to do it. So demons can do this. But here's the funny thing. If they quote unquote heal their eyes, right? Let's say they give you vision. They require something back from you. Jesus doesn't do that. Nor does Jesus send more demons to give you other problems. So then you keep giving them more and more. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't require anything of you once he's healed you. That is the difference. When he healed that blind man, did he say, well, I require four calves, two humans, two eyeballs, and a jar? Jesus didn't say that. He said, go. Go. He didn't require anything of him in return that would bring other bad things back. You know, God is not a tit for tat. That's not of his nature. Let's keep going. Then came the festival of a dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were around him gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe it because you're not my sheep. That is rough, man. That must suck. My sheep listen to to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I, the Father, are one. So, he's calling out the Pharisees, like, the Pharisees are like, well, just tell us you're the Messiah, okay? Like, why are you keeping us, you know, in so much suspense? Just tell us who you are. And Jesus is like, I did tell you. You just don't believe me. I keep telling you over and over again, and you're just not going to believe me because you're not my sheep, right? You don't follow my voice. You don't recognize my voice. Doesn't mean Jesus won't didn't die for them. He died for them. And I think that's what makes them go even crazier. Because a man that they hated, that they did not believe, died for them. You have that on your shoulders. And that's rough. <laughs> that is a heavy burden. So he's talking about my sheep know my voice I and I know them and they follow me. People that you see following me, my 12 disciples, they're my sheep. They know me. They know my voice. And he's saying, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And I want you to believe that right now, that no matter who no matter where you are i know that if maybe things are really rough jesus still has a hold of you he will never let the enemy take you out of his hand he will never god will never let the enemy take you out of his hand the enemy will try and you will see it but he will never let go of you he's holding he's holding on to you He's holding on to you and he's not going to let go of you. But you got to believe that. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that Jesus does what he says he's going to do. And again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from my father from which... Of these do you stone me? 
We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law. I have said you are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I'm God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Like they were trying to stone Jesus, which I never read. You know, what's the funny part. I never read this. I never read this part before. That they try to stone Jesus because he's doing what God com- commanded him to do. And they're like, obviously they didn't like when he called them out. So they're like, we're going to stone you because you're blaspheming. You're saying that you're the son of God, but you're not, you know. And he's like, I've done all the miracles. I've done everything. I've fulfilled prophecy and that's still not enough for you. So even if, if, if the works that are written in scripture, I do them, even though you do not believe, believe in the works that I'm doing, believe that they're from God, that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again, they try to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in days earlier. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. And what's crazy, so crazy, is... You know, Jesus was one if he still did all this stuff and it's like their hearts were hardened and that's what I think because they chose to stay blind even though they could see. The man who was blind had more spiritual vision than the Pharisees did because they were spiritually dead. They could not see. They were spiritually blind. That's why they're so confused. That's why they're in so much shock. It just doesn't register in their head because they, they believe in a dead God. In a God that doesn't perform miracles because it had been such a long time since God did anything right because God was silent for a period of time that they believed that this stuff had happened right but but all our ancestors that had lived that long enough were already dead so so their mind they're like yeah I believe in you know I believe in God that he did all these things right but they didn't believe that he was still spiritually that he was doing he was moving and he was using Jesus And the church is still doing that. He's still doing that. The the church is still is still believes that. Even the Church of Christ, right? They believe that, oh, Jesus performed all these miracles. We can pray for you, but I'm not gonna expect anything because if it does happen, oh gosh. You know, because it's not taught. The church of Christ, all these churches are spiritually dead. They're spiritually blind, like the Pharisees were. It was all legal, all, doc, all, all Bible. Okay, we can read the Bible and study it 40 different ways, but if you don't believe and you don't trust that you have that authority and that power and you don't act on it, what was the point? So, we're also... We're going to be on Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. 
So I tell you this, insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the uh, futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separate from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so they can indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. They're so spiritually numb, right? They're dead inside that they seek other things to fulfill that. I see that now in my generation. I see that now in so many Christians that we seek other things because we have no, our spiritual open, the spiritual door that the Holy Spirit is, is not there. They, the Holy Spirit does not live inside of them. So they try to do other things to fulfill them and they still live, right, as Gentiles. So I'm pretty sure this is Paul. Paul is saying, why are you, as Christians, you're not spiritually dead. You don't need the fulfillment of other things. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And, And the Gentiles, because they're separated from the life of God, Their ignorance is hardening their hearts. And having lost the sense, all sensitivity, they give themselves over to sensuality so they can indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your formal life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He's saying, when you had a relationship with Jesus, when you heard the truth by Jesus' own mouth, You were taught the way you should live. And he's calling out these lukewarm Christians. You were taught. You know better. You know what your life was before. And you knew that you had to put that up. You knew that you had to give that up. And to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put... On the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, you're put, you know that you were supposed to put all your desires, your past desires away. And to be made new. Have a new mindset. Be patient when you used to be impatient. To be kind when you used to be rude. To be able to... Give right when you used to be greedy. And he's saying to, you were created, your new self, you were created to, to seek to be like Jesus. You were, you were created to seek to want that. You're still going to fall. And that's okay. But you're still seeking him. That's what matters. You don't seek and give up when you fall and just say, oh, well, it looks like I'm going to just stay here. No, no, no. You keep trying and you keep trying and keep trying because God looks at that. That you're making a you're making an effort. And he says, therefore, each of you put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body in your anger do not sin do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold don't open that door even if it's you going to bed angry you're opening that door for the devil to crawl in that's what he's saying and in anger don't sin button your lip don't say anything because in your anger You're going to want to sin. And he says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, 
but must work doing something else useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let... Okay, so that's your past life. If you stole before, you will steal no longer. If you used to lust, you lust no more. If you used to have sexual immorality or impurity, you're no longer impure. Like, you have to do that change. You have to let go of who you were. Because if not, you're stepping on one side of the fence and another foot in the other. And God doesn't like that. And I said that last week in the last podcast. God doesn't like one foot in, one foot out. He wants you all in or all out. Because you're just as bad. Because at least the people that don't know him are truthful in that they don't know him. But if you know better and you choose not to, that is like throw up in God's mouth. That's so disgusting to him. And then talks about, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That could be cussing. That could be speaking negatively, negatively to your spouse, to your children, to your, to your relative, to your siblings, to your neighbor, whoever it is. They should not come out of your mouth. Your mouth has so much power and you have the power to build them up and instead you were tearing them out, tearing them down. You're letting the devil use you. You're letting the devil have a foothold in your life. You give him an inch, he'll drag you for a mile. Kicking and screaming, he will drag you. Don't give it to him. And so he says, but only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It's not just for you, right? Let's say you're building your neighbor up. It could be the neighbor behind you that's listening that needed that encouragement. So not only are you watering a seed, but you're planting another one without your knowledge. But if you were corrupt of mouth, you would be planting seeds of anger, deceit, untruthfulness, and and creating a garden of weeds instead of garden instead of a garden of fruit. And he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. When he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If you grieve it, that means you don't have it in you. If you... If you feel like you've lost it, it's because you never had it in in you in the first place. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't just leave like that. Not until God calls the Holy Spirit up, in uh, which is in Revelation. And he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God, forgave you. I think it's in the pudding. Like, it, you know, get rid of all your baggage. You'll know. You'll feel it in your spirit if it's godly or not godly. I'm really angry at my at my sibling. They ticked me off this month. Okay, are you going to hold on to that? Or are you just going to let it go? And it's hard. That's a hard thing to do. Speaking from experience, um, it's really hard to do. But I know that I would be living the way God wanted me to live. I'd be living the way Jesus commanded me to live. And although the taste is bitter in my mouth... I know God is smiling, so the momentary pain 
is worth the amount of glory that God receives. So, I'm going to leave that for this week's episode. This has been a long, this is, we're already at 50 minutes, so... And I want you I want to touch back from the beginning of what I, I wanted to discuss, and it was about Jesus' love, which he talks about in John 10, right? But then he also talks about the transformation as Christians. That's from his own mouth, right? And then we go down to Ephesians, and it's the transformation of what is required of us to separate us from Gentiles. Right to separate us from the world, because if we are not salt and light in the world, what are we then? We are just a shade of darkness, and it's difficult, especially when you're not very bold to be a salt and light. But God will open those doors in really interesting ways. And you just have to ask God to open those doors to give you that spirit of boldness or encouragement uh, or kindness um, to change you. Ask God to change you, to transform you, but not just one day and then not pray for that transformation again, but earnestly seek him, earnestly ask, keep asking, keep asking, don't take no, right? He's not going to say no, but he wants to make sure you really want it, you know? If you just ask for one day and you never ask it about it again, God's going to be like, well, maybe they weren't that serious about it. But if you keep asking and 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 keep asking, if you keep doing that, God's going to be like, all right, they really want it. I'm going to give it to them. Okay? So that is this week's episode. A long one, but needed to be said. I hope you guys have a great week. I'll be back next week. Well, I'm going to try to get back next week because i got a wedding to go to. But I am very thankful, very grateful that God has been using this ministry. And I don't know who it reaches. I don't know who listens to it. But I really hope that this was something that was needed in your heart. That God used me instrumentally to help you out. Because I would hate that I'm falling on on deaf ears on what I'm saying. But that it's God saying it to you. Have a great week. God bless you guys. See you next week. Bye.